episode quite honestly uh. <laughs> of the podcast that has all the sexual chemistry of uh a girl from the south and a cajun guy so <laughs> there's a lot. lot there's a lot to pick from uh, i will say if there's one area in which ultimate x-men is true to the spirit of original x-men it's that they're all extremely horny yes everyone's just <laughs> thirsty off. on main is <laughs> like the tagline of this series too true but this has got the runs and we do got them and we're talking about of course brian k vaughn we're getting oh well really we're in the exact same place we have been for a while now <laughs> yeah I was like, we've been hanging out in the like 2004 to 2006 <laughs> window for a few a yes few exactly. weeks now <laughs> also just i just want to mention this right now did you see how he reused the bells concept oh no i didn't was that it's in, uh, it's like in, the... in gambits when yeah. rogue like takes gambits memories it's he's like I want to see you pickpocket these this <laughs> dummy without ringing any of these bells. He's like, definitely not afraid to like recycle ideas that he finds like cute or clever or whatever. It's the same like the same thing with Mystique shape shifting her organs into like right. her lower extremities or things like that. Like, but then I was like, wow, he brought this back all these years later, and then I was like, wait, did these issues <laughs> come out like the same time? Yeah, very close together, certainly. Oh, but we're talking Brian K. Vaughn, the great Brian K. Vaughn. Beaker himself. <laughs> sure. I'm something of a Bunsen honeydew, certainly. <laughs> and we're talking about his... This is really, I will say, our first... Well, I don't know, because... This is I, his I most was, mainstream comic yet, for yes, sure. Yes, I always, I always come back to Swamp Thing, <laughs> but... I guess this is basically the most mainstream comic we've covered, certainly, you would say, yeah. right? It's his bestseller by, like, three orders of magnitude. Yes. <laughs> like, this, his first issue sells three times more comics than any other comic he's ever written at this point. That's insane. Still not in the mainstream Marvel or DC universe. No. It's I guess, I guess Runaways baby. is more in the actual Marvel. Anyways, we're talking about Ultimate X-Men... Issues 46 through 65. So he he takes over from Bendis, right? Who has written yeah. all of them up to that point? Or? No, no. He he took over. So Mark Miller wrote the, like, I think there was like a short fill-in arc, but pretty much Mark Miller wrote the first like 30 to 35-ish issues. And then Bendis took over after him for like a f semi-lengthy run. I think he wrote like 15 issues. And then Vaughn is taking over from Bendis. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Which is really uh, like all in the family as far as like having having Miller and Bendis as the first two writers is very like Ultimate Universe. They, they wrote so many of the <laughs> early Ultimate books. Yeah, I can't even imagine how many comics Brian Michael Bendis was writing like around this period. <laughs> Simultaneously, yeah. Yes. I think... I I would guess like maybe six or seven. 
that seems low. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, it's written by Brian K. Vaughn, penciled by first by various pencilers, but Brandon Peterson, Andy Kubert, and then for the last, I think, like 12 issues or so, mm-hmm. it's Stuart Immonen. Um, I <laughs> this will be an interesting episode because I intentionally went into this without doing any research on the <laughs> Ultimate Universe or Ultimate X Men. So, which is me, in theory how they want you to do it. I get. Well, I guess so. We can talk about that. Yeah. But, so here's my first question. Yes. And this is a op- very obvious dumb guy question. Um, which the movie came first? Yes. By correct? yeah. So. The movie is 2000. The Ultimate Universe, I think also the first issue of any Ultimate comic might have come out in 2000. But Ultimate X-Men took a little while to like get started uh, compared to some of the other lines. Yeah, so Ultimate Spider-Man was 2000. Ultimate X-Men, 2001. And then, wow, so the Ultimates came after. Yeah. In 2002. (laughs) The Ultimates seems weird. The Ultimates seems like... Okay, so, so basically the idea of the Ultimate Universe is... It's a refresh. Yes. Oh, let's let's get ultimates. <laughs> okay. So, Bill Jemis is Bill Jemis. Yeah, Bill Jemis is <laughs> was Bill Michael Jemis. <laughs> Bill Jemis is the name of a guy who was like I think his official title was technically like vice president of something, but he was like functionally the publisher at Marvel in the like early 2000s. He came, he was like a a Harvard law graduate, worked for like the Knicks for a little while, and then like went over to Fleer and like started their like basketball card line. And then Fleer was owned by Marvel. And so not to get too into the weeds, but when Marvel went through their <laughs> chapter 11 bankruptcy, famously, <laughs> Marvel went bankrupt. They had to do a merger with uh, a company called Toy Biz, which was run by Ar- Ike Perlmutter and Avi Arad, two names uh, who right. people will uh, yeah, probably recognize, especially Avi Arad is like very involved with all of the like Marvel movie stuff now. So anyways, after they merged, Ike Perlmutter was like, I like this Jemis guy. Let's get him on like the comic side of things. <laughs> get him in here, shake things up. I'm really, I'm really obsessed with Bill Jemis. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because, well, for starters, he pretty much, and he's pretty much the grandfather of baseball analytics. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. The saber man. Um, <laughs> anyways, Bill Jemis comes in and like really shakes things up at marvel he's he's yeah he's an interesting figure because on the one hand he's like very foundational for the ultimate line which i think by and large people would say good call he and joe casada like really kickstarted the marvel knights sort of imprint which like christopher priest's black panther bendis's daredevil it's like a sort lot of, of it's sort of the marvel vertigo right uh yeah no i'm not sure if i'd go that far it was like in universe but it was really like the the like now it's time for like some grounded street level stories that like a lot of writers kind of like made their bones working on marvel knights titles he rolled out the max imprint which has like several very acclaimed runs and that's their like mature comics line he sort of like relaunched epic which was an older imprint as like like a creator episode yeah 
and he actually this episode is brought to you by bill jemis anyways he he rolled out like a lot of new initiatives at marvel and also was like a famous micromanager and dick (laughs) and like personally wrote some of like the worst comics ever (laughs) bill jemis and the hologramis yeah bill jemis and the hologramis but anyways so the story is that he basically was like particularly hated x-men because he was like there's a, there's a quote in uh, Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, where he basically is like, I have a JD from Harvard. If I can't understand these comics, it's not a problem with me. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of his like guiding philosophy. Good take, quite honestly. Yeah, truly. <laughs> yeah, he so he thought the, the like universe needed a refresh and saw the ultimate line, which was almost called Ground Zero, uh, which Ooh. I gotta say, close, close one. <laughs> Uh, but he was like, we need to do something to like, make these comics accessible for new readers again. And the ultimate line was kind of the solution where he was like, we're going scrapping all continuity and starting over from the beginning. And we're doing it as like a separate universe. So it's basically like, low, low risk, high reward. If people don't like them, the main continuity comics are still coming out and we can just scrap it after a little while. But if it works, then like, it cost us basically nothing. And so Ultimate Spider-Man is the first one, as you already said. And like, it's just, it's a very weird, like, start to things because he was kind of like, this is going to save Marvel. And also like, there's not enough. Or or I guess, I guess part of the consideration was like, I don't want like a 50 year old who has been writing comics for the past 25 years, trying to like reinvent the wheel. I want to bring in some guys with like, a young voice and a fresh perspective. And etc etc so like bendis at that point is primarily known for like his crime comics like jinx and goldfish and fire i think are the three big ones oh and torso anyways these are all like black and white indie like art comics and then miller had been working at dc i think he must have done red sun at this point oh no he was he would have been coming in through Wildstorm. so he did like the authority his his big authority run would have been the main thing and it's it's interesting he kind of like sets the tone for the ultimate universe in a lot of ways and especially ultimate x-men where like i know you said you didn't go back and read any of them but the the voice for the authority and the ultimates and ultimate x-men is very consistent and very abrasive and yeah, very right? like post 9-11 yes i was gonna say like they they kind of seem like fascists, is my general, uh, is my general, the vibe I get from the Ultimates. Yeah, the Ultimates is like, <laughs> the Ultimates is very much like deconstructionist, like, right. patriotism is bad, like, look at the effects of post 9-11, like, government-sponsored heroes are uh, a bad idea, <laughs> sort of comic. And, uh, yeah, it, it definitely comes across as like a real like Mark Miller must hate superheroes comic, which he doesn't. He uh, like if you if you look at his he's kind of like Zack Snyder in some ways in that, like, he obviously has a lot of affection for the characters and like loves the idea of superheroes. And also like the things that seem to appeal to him about superheroes are not the same things that tend to appeal to like traditionalists uh who who also like would say oh i really love the character like it it's yeah he it's just different things that seem to really appeal to him about the superhero archetypes right so that like so sort of you've alluded to this like the general vibe is that it's i i wouldn't even say it's adult because it's you know it's not like 
Vertigo or Max it's like, or anything like that. It's but like it's, hip and fresh. Yes. Is what they're edgy, going certainly. for. Yeah. Which was, so, and it was, it seems like well-received at the time. I mean, it obviously had its detractors. I know people were mad about the X-Men costumes in the movie, at least. Yeah, I think, well, I, th- I mean, obviously the X-Men movie costumes are very influential on what we see, like, in the pages of Ultimate X-Men. They're basically wearing like the movie costumes for they the are, most yeah. part but i don't i don't think there was a pushback against the ultimate x-men costumes because they were so obviously inspired by the movie but at the time people were like where and and i'm not even sure if at the time like i wasn't i wasn't old enough to be <laughs> following the discourse at the time but it does seem to me like a bit more of a retroactive thing that now people are like oh, it would have been so dope if Wolverine had, like, had his yellow costume in the movies. But I have no idea if, like, at the time, people cared. I think people did care. As the I, I haven't delved too deeply into it, but I'm pretty sure that it was, it was a controversial decision at the time, certainly. But, so, Vaughn gets in at issue 46. So, at this point, we're, like, pretty well into what the universe is. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because... Like I said, the whole the whole idea of it was we're going to scrap all the continuity and start fresh so that people can get in on the ground floor. But like four years later, it's already kind of complicated. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't think that it feels like how can you have like serialized storytelling and not immediately get into complicated lore that like harkens back to the path? Because like the whole thing in comics, like all like the big like things in comics are just like, here's this guy. Yeah, and well, and the thing about it is like, I we're it's at a kind of like weird point for the Ultimate Universe when he comes in because it's still like hugely commercially successful. Like Ultimate X Men is always one of the best selling titles. It's still like kind of a critical darling. People love it, but you can already kind of see where it's going to start like falling apart. Where, for example, like in this story. Or like in Vaughn's run, he touches on like Mr. Sinister and Apocalypse and Longshot are kind of the three that I think of where it's like those stories are structured around assuming that the audience is going to have expectations about those characters. And then the twist being like, it's not like your your dad's Mr. Sinister slash Apocalypse slash Longshot. Yes, that's exactly that is exactly what I took out of it was like half of these characters like i i spent most of my time like on like the marvel wiki being like okay so who is this supposed to be like oh this is north star like okay yeah the a truly upsetting portrayal of mr sinister i will say <laughs> I, I will say like thinking about where we were in vaughn's career and his previous work and then coming on to ultimate x-men i was immediately like i wonder if this is the run where professor x gets pushed down the stairs <laughs> Which is like a classic meme image. And then when I got to the Mr. Sinister story, I was like, it is. <laughs> his his one true weakness, I believe, Mr. Yes, Sinister. Yes, is what he says. A good bit. But yes, especially the, the other one that I noticed in a big way was Lady Deathstrike. Where like the whole reveal of the first issue that she appears in. Because it's like she's going after Wolverine and Storm. Mm-hmm. And then it's like the big reveal at the end is like she's not after Wolverine. She's after Storm. And it's like <laughs> if I didn't know who that character was already and like know of her affiliations. I mean, I don't know that much about her, but I know mm-hmm. that she's like a Wolverine. She fights Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, what? What's the point of this? like? Who is this for? If not yeah, for well, someone the who is, knows, like, yeah, it's for existing comics fans who like know 
the X-Men lore already. And especially, yeah, it's it's just kind of one of the consequences of like saying we're going to start fresh and like it, it it's just at the point where like it hasn't quite tipped past where it starts to be like a total turnoff. But I feel like some of the early success, the lesson learned was, oh, existing fans want to see how we're going to like ultimize their favorite characters but then like once you start blowing through some of the better known and popular characters and a lot of them only stick around for like an arc then you're left like making some pretty deep cuts where like Longshot and Mojo are not I think for people who like don't read comics or or like are ostensibly new to X-Men they're not going to be like oh yeah Longshot and Mojo <laughs> I've been waiting I hope Spiral's in this yeah, Which, I had no not idea. To worry, fans, she is. <laughs> I had no idea who any of those characters were. Yeah, the, like the other example I would think of for a character who is kind of just like churned through by the consequence of like ultimate stuff is like Deadpool is in like one arc of Ultimate Spider-Man is not like recognizable as his main street. Like he's very very different from the like six one six Deadpool. And then he like dies at the end of, of his story <laughs> arc. And so it's it's just it's interesting how the degree to which Ultimate the Ultimate line has a reputation as like a new reader friendly thing. And like it is if you start at the beginning for some characters. But it's also like, okay, what if I'm a Hulk like what if I'm interested in Hulk? It's like, well, he's in like two Ultimates series as like a supporting character, and then that's it. And that's like Hulk is like a big character like he's a he's one of the more recognizable characters and like today Deadpool more so than probably at the time but people are like interested in Deadpool and would be like oh ultimate Deadpool easy jumping on point I want to check it out and it's like well here he is as the antagonist of one storyline and then he dies right yes now the thing is like I guess like I suppose if because I didn't know who like Longshot or Mojo or anyone like that was. And so I guess I can just read these stories and be like, okay, these are what these characters are. But then, but the way they're presented almost feels like they're like teasing a little bit or like hearkening back to like other stuff that we, Mm -hmm. that like, like it feels like a joke that I'm missing out on. And so then I feel like I have to do the research to be like, okay, well, what is this character and how are they like, almost like (laughs) not parodying, but what what about what are, this yeah, take on the changing? character is different yeah. and arcade as well as in that arc and i was like well i know who arcade is kind of and he's not like this <laughs> he's not like evil gabe newell <laughs> <laughs> so where i mean we can we can jump around here sure these yeah what, what do you think of these stories by and large like i thought they're they're all like fine yeah i i like them um so we start with the Tempest, which is the Mr. Sinister arc where he is like going around killing mutants um, yes. in service of Apocalypse, which is that is that something that ever gets picked up on again? I believe it does. So Robert Kirkman of uh, Walking Dead and Invincible fame follows Vaughn on this run and does like a pretty lengthy run. And I'm pretty sure he does an Apocalypse story. So, yeah, we sort of get dropped in the middle to some extent. Like it's like Beast has just died um, yeah. which I which is later retconned, right? Because I was I was reading. We could talk about Ultimative at the end. But. <laughs> yes, I also uh, took a quick scan through the Wikipedia page, and there certainly is uh, a line where it's like it is revealed that Beast has been alive the entire time, and until is like it's killed again, and is in a laboratory underneath the Triskelion. Yeah, uh, then, yeah. I, which is funny because like 
the ultimate line also kind of has like i think it was like an editorial rule and certainly a reputation of like death death is like, like dead is dead as uh as vaughn would say in the title of uh some runaways arc but like the whole thing was like if characters die they're not coming back except for like beast and spider-man spoilies <laughs> spoilers for a comic we're not reading and also which is like 10 years old but yeah beast has just died ostensibly so there's there's lots of like flux in the team yeah there's there's a lot of there's a lot of like interesting thing like like we get hints of phoenix like in the first arc yeah phoenix like rears rears its head i definitely know kirkman does a phoenix story but yeah you see like the phoenix like corona several times there's like several new characters introduced to the team i think like right at the beginning pretty much right like dazzler havoc yeah dazzler was dazzler being introduced in this arc because it it felt like she had like it felt like she was coming back rather than i think i think they're carryovers from the new mutants arc which was right before um like he, he bendis basically was like here's a ton of like new characters who could join the team and then vaughn was able to basically pick and choose who he wanted to include right so it's so at the at the time that the arc starts, it's Cyclops, Jean Grey, Storm, Wolverine, Colossus, Iceman, Rogue, Shadowcat, and Nightcrawler. And Nightcrawler. Yeah. And that's like fairly close to Oh, and Angel. As an Angel, which is basically like it seems like the idea is sort of it's half original x-men from the original x-men and then half original x-men from like the giant size x-men sort of reinvention yeah i think the original lineup like from issue one is cyclops gene gray wolverine colossus and storm and then and then like the first mission is recruit iceman right that's pretty interesting and then it, so uh, so there's a fair amount of flux within the issues that we read like yeah it's it's a little confusing because it feels like Again, and this this goes back to kind of the like, it's new reader friendly kind of, but like, it feels like some of it happens off page where like Emma leaves, but she seems like she's saying like, and I'll be back very soon. And then the next time you see her, she's like, I've started my own school. Yeah, which I, which I, I didn't know if that was something that we were meant to know about already or... There's yeah, a lot of which, that where it's like, am I supposed to know what this is? Yeah, I, I feel like the big one that sticks out to me is that because Shadowcat is like also a supporting character in Ultimate Spider-Man, oh, her yeah. relationship status changes like multiple times within a single story arc where it's like one issue. She's very horny for Bobby. Like the next issue, which ostensibly takes place the same day. How's your relationship with Spider-Man, your boyfriend? Next issue, which takes place like the next day horny for bobby again <laughs> right it's and very confusing is there uh, and there's so much stuff because x-men is so like everyone's constantly coupling up like we see storm mm-hmm. and wolverine get together which i was like i was just curious because i was like i think that's a thing and then i, I, and then I saw is, that yeah. it's something that's come back very recently in x of swords like they're in a relationship they've, again. they've kind of been like on again off again for a long time i think ten of swords sorry Yes, please. Going <laughs> <laughs> to avoid any uh, any hate mail. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yes, and and so then it's like so Rogue leaves at one point. I guess I guess mainly the main change is that Rogue leaves, and then Storm and Wolverine leave, and then come back. Yeah, and then Rogue also comes back. Does she at like the very at the end? end yeah. yeah, yeah. There's some there's some flux in the roster certainly. 
So it's that storyline, and then we get this, the Cry Wolf storyline, which is just some truly horrific hair on Gambit, I will say. <laughs> he has, like, he has some real frizz. Uh, we call that Kane frizz in the wrestling world. <laughs> we do. Because, because of the wrestler Kane. Hold on, I will send you a photo. Just that famous, like, sort of, like, long, wavy hair can get quite frizzy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sorry, who who am I comparing this to? To Gambit. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. He's very, like, curly-haired in this Especially arc. in the first issue. Um, I will say, the art... I was not a fan of the art for the most part. We have, until... a, we have a new artist for this arc, right? Is this yes, Andy Kubert? Andy, Co- Andy Kubert. He's jumping up and down that big pyramid. An interesting... Uh, He's orange. <laughs> completing the Kubert collection because Adam Kubert was the... His brother was the original artist with Mark Miller in the first few issues. His mouth is, like, big and round, like Birdo. Ooh. <laughs> That's what he's saying. I believe he speaks in symbols, famously. <laughs> Birdo does? No, Qbert. Oh. <laughs> did you not get that that's what I was talking no, about? No, I did time? not. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, especially in, in The Tempest, the first arc. I mean, we haven't done my favorite segment, just what is going on here, but uh-huh. a slightly suspect cover. Um Yes, we see Storm get her new outfit. There's a lot of like... Yes, it's like... So again, this is a like, great joke for people who read X-Men in the 80s. It's her like punk look that she adopts after spending time with the Morlocks. Right. But it kind of is. Like she cuts her hair, but she doesn't have the mohawk. Yeah. Yeah, a, a lot of uh, a lot of like sort of late 90s, early 2000s, just like I'm a little iffy on what we're doing here. Like showing kitty like in a bathing suit and having that just like, oh yeah be, like and a like, plot point lots of lots of dazzler like g-string around the hips <laughs> yes well. that look is just a whole lot um but especially in the first arc it really feels like the i describe it as the more lines equals better art look <laughs> which is like everything has a billion lines yes the the cross hatched look of the era certainly is uh, is showing its influence here. That's that's like really a '90s thing. Yeah, that's what I thought. But it certainly is like a holdover. Like you'll there's still tons of artists who like cross hatch everything to death because like that's what Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld did. And uh, I I feel like I recently read. Oh, it was like uh, an old review of uh, Frank Miller's Ronin from when it came out in the comics journal where the guy was like, it's well known amongst artists that if you want to like trick people into thinking a mediocre drawing is a good drawing, add more lines. <laughs> right. Uh, and that, that certainly, yeah, there's certainly some of that in some of these issues. Yeah. And yeah, it's just all like the poses and stuff, especially for women, like just feel very 90s to me. Mm-hmm. And it gets better over time, but it never well, completely yeah, Stuart, goes away. Stuart Immonen is a very different artist, especially from Brandon Peterson, but also from um, Andy Kubert. Like, it's it's quite a change in style when he comes on. Right. So pretty pretty early on in the first issue, we get, hey, Rogue, do you know how old Kurt Cobain was when he died? And when I read <laughs> yeah. that, I was just like, we're back, baby. Vaughn! <laughs> we're vaughn <Vaughted> it up. <laughs> Yeah, so then Cry Wolf, so Rogue gets kidnapped, she leaves with Gambit, there's some yeah. weird, like, those, who, are those siblings, anyone? Uh, so, 
yeah there this baron von strecker is like a right, famous like that. hydra guy i think they exist and are x-men people in the main universe slash like i feel like they might have been alpha flight villains for some reason sure why not i'm looking it up and then you get after that you get the most dangerous game which is the weird like um not genosha but krakoa mm-hmm. um but in this krakoa is just like a place <laughs> classic where Longshot is like being hunted for sport and the X-Men go in and save him. And there's that yeah. whole thing where he's actually a villain, which is, again, a, a twist if you know who Longshot is. <laughs> and and also, like, not really a twist. Like, he gives you ample, like, he casts doubt on the idea that he's innocent several times. Right. Like, they frequently are like, we don't actually know that he's innocent. <laughs> right. Uh, there's some unnecessary Jerry Bruckheimer shade in this story art. <laughs> I was like, stand, stand for Jerry for a moment. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> I under, I would understand. Broadly speaking, I understand that people were not sort of the Jerry reclamation had not really happened yet. But this is 2004 or five. Mm-hmm. Pirates of the Caribbean just came out and it was a huge hit. And it's like it's Pirates of the Caribbean, bro. <laughs> uh, I, don't they reference pirates of the caribbean when yes. Kurt is doing his like swashbuckler yes, yeah uh, to be fair you look at some of the other movies that jerry also like crazy that people just knew who jerry bruckheimer was like <laughs> but also like did they like I, vaughn is definitely like i don't i don't know if that necessarily was a reference that like hit with everybody i guess but also it's like how many in like a mainstream comic or like any kind of mainstream media like how many producers could you reference nowadays other than harvey weinstein and scott <laughs> rudin uh-huh that's fair. um that like would that people would broadly recognize yeah but yes around this time you know one of your favorite movies king arthur love it directed by anton antoine fuqua weirdly <laughs> did you know that no <laughs> yeah anton fuqua director of training day uh, Olympus has fallen, etc. <laughs> <laughs> and really, what is King Arthur if not Training Day in the seventh uh, century? <laughs> I guess uh, National Treasure comes out around that time. I mean, you're about to get Deja Vu, Tony Scott's masterpiece. It's like cinematic golden age is what I'm basically hearing. Well, we've then, but then it's like we've just had Kangaroo Jack, we've just had Bad Boys Two. It's a cinematic golden <laughs> age is what I'm hearing. Have you seen Kangaroo Jack? I have not seen Kangaroo Jack. Same. It famously doesn't have the kangaroo in it. That's all I know about Wait, it. Wait, what? Well, it... So... Okay, so what do you think Kangaroo Jack is about? It's about a kangaroo who boxes. It's about a talking kangaroo, right? Right. But it's not. <laughs> it's about... It's it's like a crime comedy movie set where, like, they go to Australia. Uh-huh. And then there's, like, one scene where... I don't know if they, like, take acid or something. And he he hallucinates... A kangaroo uh-huh. <laughs> that's like talking and has sunglasses, and that's like all, where all of the marketing came from. And that that's like one scene in the movie. That is bizarre. Wait, what's the, what's the movie about the kangaroo who boxes or kickboxes? <laughs> I don't believe there is one. But yeah, like that that's the whole thing about Kangaroo Jack is that it's not about the kangaroo, the famous kangaroo in the sunglasses and the Brooklyn sweater, as it appears on the poster. Uh, okay, so th- th- this is what I do want to talk about a little bit, is A Hard Lesson, which a is hard the 
lesson which is the one-off issue I, it's issue is that the one with 50. the conjoined twins yes it is the one-off issue starring professor x that's all about uh. him going to the bank <laughs> That is literally just uh, what it's about because it's like it is. It is. My assets have been frozen by X Men. I must journey <laughs> to the bank. It is. Yeah, it is an interesting one. Steve Dillon, R.I.P. on art. Oh, we did we just blow by uh, Longshot? We don't have anything to say about him. Oh, we could talk about Longshot. I guess I don't really have anything to say about him other than that. Like, it's it seems like Mojo would be the ultimate. Well, the ultimate. Wow. heavy eyebrow work that's the, that's the name of the thing <laughs> yeah uh, but he's he seems like the ideal character to ultimize and yet like is not really realized because his whole thing is like he comes from mojo world at which he is like the god emperor of and like his whole thing is like being a media satire and that like he's all about like turning the x-men into his like number one hit show and like he regularly shows up for weird antics like turning them into babies because he's like this will make for great tv he's danny um, devito in space jam essentially that's what it sounds like <laughs> I mean, he's not not danny devito in space jam uh and like yeah there's there's lots of stuff with him of like people being like propped up in front of screens with their eyes forced open he's like the the big like tv media critique character which seems like in in like the 2000s there just seems like i don't know i don't know what exactly well, i guess maybe like the dangers of reality tv is a good <laughs> a good take but he just seems underutilized for how like crazy the mainstream character is to just have him be like he's albino. Yeah, I, I looked he's, up he's like a white man with dreads. I looked up mainstream mojo and I was just like, what? Like, <laughs> he's like an alien. Is yeah, the... he's like a vile like he looks like a white blood cell that's been corrupted. Or something. <laughs> yes, he's got like pipes coming out of his head. He's he's crazy, and uh, you know, major domo a great character <laughs> underutilized in ultimate uh ultimate major domo yes he's he appears like he's just like a producer he's a line producer which is like that's that's what he is too but like i'm looking at images of mojo yeah it's <laughs> it's just it's just unfortunate that he is like so he's such a crazy character and the take on him like is such he's a crazy a energy yeah and the take on him is like what if he had a suit <laughs> uh yes but clearly you have neglected to look at the last page of the last issue of this arc which has professor x staring into the camera <laughs> saying perhaps what this is that's why this reality television troubles me gene <laughs> it's not that it shows mutants and humans at their worst it's that it shows us exactly how we are indeed, which when you indeed. think about it maybe those freaks on the real world are really just like us <laughs> indeed so yeah we have steve dylan uh doing the art for the uh the professor x one shot <laughs> breaking up Stuart imminence run by far the two most accomplished artists that vaughn has ever worked with question mark wow outside of their own uh pia Guerra and runaway's guy <laughs> we're both like <laughs> adrian, uh, adrian alfona. alfona yes or both co-creators of the book so you know like they have yeah i i, I feel like they're well adrian alfona you know if we're looking at it uh if we're looking at like his hall of fame case 
co-creator on Runaways and Captain Miss um, Marvel, like Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, is two very good entries. But at the time, I would say that Stuart Immonen and Steve Dillon's yeah. resumes are are pretty stacked by comparison. And of course, we get Immonen's classic collaborator, Wade von Gravadger. The Badger himself is, a, oh. is in the house inking these issues. Stuart Immonen is often inked by Wade von Graubadger, who also inks these issues. Uh, they have like a notorious partnership, and I always notice because Wade von Graubadger is an awesome name <laughs> that jumps off the page. It's no Bim Bim Jemis. Bill Jemis, <laughs> sure. Bim Bim Jam. It's no Bimmy Johns. Uh huh. Have you read anything else with Stuart Immonen before? I don't believe so. He's like all over the Ultimate line at this time. I think he goes from this to Ultimate Fantastic Four and then from there to Ultimate Spider-Man. So he's like kind of the the ultimate guy. You've read Superman's Secret Identity, right? Yeah. Isn't that the uh, the one where it's like, one? what if he was in the real world? Right. Yes, 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 yes. That's a good one. It is a great one. Yeah, I like Stuart Immonen a lot. I feel like he is the first person I think of when I think about like versatility among artists or like artists who regularly work in different styles i'm gonna i'm gonna pull uh vamp for a bit while i get you some some image comparisons yeah i think i'm just looking at some of these pages i think and maybe it's just a early digital coloring thing that sort of makes it all look not not the same but really similar i think i i think it just i don't think it lends itself well to it just feels very much like all of the early 2000s art and even late 90s as well, like that you would see in the era. Um, but I do want to talk about a hard lesson, <laughs> issue 58, just because uh-huh. <laughs> it is so strange within the run. Like, it's so, because like it is a very Brian K. Vaughn thing to do to just have this like one one off issue where you tell a weird story that's like, kind, it's like, this is like kind of a funny concept in a way. That, yeah. like, Professor X is at the bank and it, like, gets held up by a mutant. But it's so, like, outside of everything else well, that we see. Well, and just, like, the the resolution of it is very weird. Like, I don't think those guys ever come back, even though, like, ostensibly they're, like, starting X-Force or something. Right. It's like, you're going to be my secret operatives. Yes, exactly. Like, I would be shocked if those characters have another appearance. Um, we also see... The X the X Men are fighting Warlock, like off screen, and it appears oh, and yeah, like he appears that, in that one was panel. Crazy. <laughs> that's a that's a classic example of like the Ultimate Universe's habit of taking like a fan favorite character and like flushing him on a cameo to be like yeah I don't it's it feels counterintuitive to me to have it be like i I don't know it just it just feels weird to be like i'm gonna take this character and flush him on a one panel joke for this like new universe where i can do whatever i want (laughs) with like any character pretty much it's like let's have him appear in the background of a panel fighting the x-men and then that's that's gonna be it right um of course syndicate does return (laughs) he of course he does he teams up with Psylocke to bring down the Fenris twins, uh-huh. who are the people we see in... Yeah, uh, the Von Struckers. Yes, the Von Struckers. Um, and then he <laughs> just joins the X-Men after the fact because Professor X gets killed or something. Um, and then in Ultimatum, he gets shot. Good old 
ultimatum. So tell me, what's the deal with the characterization of Professor X and the Ultimate Universe? So I don't know. I was <laughs> I was trying I was to get also handle thinking on it. about this because at one point. I think it's Cyclops says like, oh, professor, you're a candidate for sainthood, which is funny because like the like that's that's kind of like the movie take on him for sure is that he's like this kind of beatific, like benevolent altruist that that like never really makes mistakes. He's very Dumbledore-ish, I would say. Yes, he is very Dumbledore. Like early books Dumbledore, at least. Whereas the trend of 2000 to like 2020 in the mainstream comics is that he's like book seven Dumbledore, <laughs> i.e. like dead. Uh, no, but like it's it's very like actually right. Like you thought you thought Professor X was this great guy, but really he was a dick. Um, and like I don't. It's 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 weird because he he says like oh Professor X is a saint, and then we don't really see him being very saintly. He has like this weird relationship with Jean, which also is yes. like a carryover. Like in, in like X-Men number one, he's like, he has this thought bubble. That's like, I can never be with Jean because I'm in a wheelchair. <laughs> no it, other wait, reason. In like in, in which X-Men number one in like X-Men brackets, 1963, number one. Oh, <laughs> that's wild yes yeah, because it is hinted well, at several times which is and i think i almost think that's interesting i i do have you know i have trouble with it a little bit because i sort of my professor x characterization that i think of is from the movies where he is like very much a father figure yeah and all complicated yes but the the fact like it, it does like there is something to that idea where it's like well like they are so close and they like have this shared telepathic connection which like causes them like it's it's a sort of intimacy that yeah it it just is very ultimate universe to have it be like what if doctor or what if professor x was a perv yeah I mean, have we considered like... that <laughs> and we have and we yeah. have it is there is the fact that you know like just like he's an old guy these are all uh Stuart Eminem pieces that i'm sending you I'm looking at a screenshot from next wave yeah next wave agents of hate is one of his uh signature signature books so the next wave one that i sent you is like i would say he's doing a slightly toned down version of this for x men it's very cartoony it's very uh like kinetic and chaotic it's very like colorful and bright i would say i think next wave was actually the book he was doing right before this and apparently i read an interview where he was like a retrospective where all he really had to say about working on ultimate x-men was like uh i guess like brian didn't really like what i was doing (laughs) uh which is fun it's certainly different from like to go from brandon peterson and uh and andy kubert to Stuart imminent is definitely like a change but so yeah, there's that one. I linked a page from Shock Rocket, which was a co- comic he was doing like almost at the exact same time, yeah, which, which like is really cool. Has the energy is similar, but the line work is a lot more like classic. Yes, and very detailed, and almost yeah. I mean, there there are some parts of it that almost seem like they have like a manga influence as well. Yeah, and then the other one I linked, or the third one I linked, I think it's from a Justice League issue, or no, it's from Showcase 93, which is like a very early piece of his, and 
he's like so doing some of the popular artists like it's very alan davis is like who i see a lot in there and like maybe a bit of like jim aparo like it's it looks like very very classic um comics art um and the flat colors help with that a lot too but it's like extremely classic and then the last one is from like this self-published indie thing he did (laughs) when he was like a starving artist in toronto which is very like expressionist and and like weird (laughs) it's it's very different so that that just to say like he is one of the like there's not a lot of artists i feel who work in the comic industry who like regularly shake up their style on purpose and so dramatically yeah and and he is a guy where i feel like he is unique for being comfortable to like really just do whatever he thinks kind of suits suits the book best and really let his style kind of shift and and blend depending on the project i I, what do do you think that the cartoony stuff is like a bad fit for ultimate x-men as he seems to feel that uh did like the the stuff that he's doing in the book yeah no i think i think it i didn't really think of it as looking dramatically different from like the stuff at the time I guess mainly, like, mainly you see it in the, I feel like in this era for me, like, I sort of judge people's talent by how they draw faces. <laughs> and it's just like, if you can, like, draw a face that looks like a person with, like, a good expression, <laughs> then you're way ahead of most people. Uh, and he certainly can draw a face. It's weird to look back on it with, like, hindsight, because since, like I mentioned, he goes on to work on several other Ultimate books. So his style kind of like defines this era of the ultimate universe for me. So it's weird to to think that like Vaughn didn't like it because I'm sort of like, well, it looks like an ultimate book because he was doing like all the ultimate books at various points uh, from like 2005 to 2010. Yeah, to, to me, like, I guess as someone who like was like sort of growing up during this era, like to me, like I just look at this like, yeah, like this is what a comic book looks like. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, like, some of his, like, faces are, like, you know, like, he has, like, big expressions. And, like, he draws Wolverine in a pretty markedly different way than the previous artists did. But generally speaking, like, I don't think of it as, like, whoa, like, what a radical departure. Yeah. So what else? So, yeah, we're kind of moving into, or maybe I'm just paging through Shock and Awe, <laughs> which is the Storm Wolverine story. Yeah, right. Lady Deathstrike yeah kind of a nothing story for me (laughs) yeah i I kind of like the the vignette we get of storm early on where it's her and the eventual lady death strike and she's like stealing motorcyclers or whatever um yes like pretty much um, most of what i sort of like was thinking about throughout these is like oh that's an interesting interpretation of this character Mm -hmm. um which is especially true of the most dangerous game where you get all these different characters but of this one as well like she kind of has like, can she always sort of like extend her fingers and stuff? Like, I think that that is taken from the mainstream universe. That like he again, he's a, he's working in kind of a cartoony mode here, so it might be a little bit more exaggerated, right? Because like yeah, especially like this like the part where she sort of like punctures Wolverine's chest, like it looks like she's standing like six feet away and then just like shoots her finger. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think he is playing it up a little bit. But if you think about like even like her appearance in X2, 
Yeah, like, but isn't in X2 it's just like she has long nails? Yeah, it's her fingernails, but they're still like as long as Wolverine's claws. Yeah. But I think like, yeah, in the comics it always sort of looks like her fingers have gotten really long slash are sharp. Yeah, that she has like claws. Yeah, sort of, yeah. Um, so that's weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, it yeah it does it does usually look like it's her fingers. Um, this issue prompted me to think about something that comes up for me with Ultimate X Men a fair bit, which is how old are they supposed to be? Yeah, so there's a lot of talk about the idea of like the upper the uh, the underclass, the seniors, yeah, and the and so the I think it's which... it's Iceman and Kitty are the and yeah. i think colossus They're, as well ice man and kitty are explicitly both 15 that's like well established but it's just weird like yeah they they seem like they're supposed to be teenagers but also like i feel like in the first issue of shock and awe like we see we see storm years ago in which she already looks like she's at least 16 if not older Yes, I and was then we see her about today, that and she looks well. like thirty-five. <laughs> Maybe it's just like the short haircut, but she seems, yeah, she seems like she's at least in her twenties, and then she just like wanders into this bar, and like even like the start of X Men number or Ultimate X Men number one is like we meet Beast, and he's like enjoying a tall, cold one, <laughs> and it's like, isn't he supposed to be like seventeen? <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't definitely don't think of them as seventeen. Like I think of them as like mid to late twenties, maybe, which I think is sort of how the movie portrays them as well. It did confuse me because like is the idea that I don't know. Also, like I don't know about how Storm joined the X Men in this universe. So I guess that's part of it as well. I believe that uh, she's she's in issue one. There's like almost like a like getting the gang together montage to open issue one that shows like Jean Grey going around and collecting everybody. So the ways that they come in are she like breaks Storm out of jail uh, where she's like in a holding cell after getting picked up for like picking someone's pocket or something. I believe she's wearing like a Nick's tank top. (laughs) (laughs) She like finds Colossus after he survives. He's like a courier for the Russian mafia and he survives this like explosion by turning into metal and he's like, my life is over. Everyone's going to know I'm a mutant. And she's like, come join our school. I can't remember how they bring in Nightcrawler. And then like Jean and Cyclops are already students there. And I think Wolverine is as well. Yeah, I guess what I was wondering about, it's it almost seems like she like directly goes from the scene we see to like joining the X-Men because it's like strike. It's that's Stryker, right? In the hospital when he's visiting. No, it's not. Uh, they have like a whole... I, l- I looked up all these characters' names and then immediately <laughs> forgot them. But they did, like, a Weapon X storyline. Oh, Dr. Cornelius. Yeah, that that introduced, like, some different characters. He's definitely sort of in the mold of movie Striker because, of course, comic Striker is, like, a preacher. But, yeah, he, he definitely is is sort of in that same mold. Yeah, I should rewatch the X-Men movies. <laughs> X2 uh, classic. One of our finest superhero movies. We all agree Certainly. on this. We all agree on this. <laughs> We've all done this, Don John. <laughs> but yes, and so because like she is getting recruited into Weapon X in the hospital, and then she is like shown a picture of Storm and Wolverine and is like, I want you to go get these guys. So it's like, so this was like six months before what we're seeing now. The timeline on her like secret origin 
is a little unclear because if it's years later it's like she she was I, I mean it makes sense if she's like essentially quadriplegic it makes sense that she would be in sort of like a hospice facility not a hospice yeah <laughs> <laughs> she's in a, she's in like an institution a care institution a of some sort some kind of thing i yeah, do I like the line so. i'm dr cornelius and her response being unless your name is quirky and i'm done talking to doctors very dark but yeah it's it, i i mean the i guess the intended message is that she has been hospitalized in some capacity for years because that it she like storm so. storm has her like punk haircut in the picture that he shows her which she got again at like the start of this run like 14 right. issues ago right timeline confusing ages confusing ages of shield am i right um, you are yeah, we also, undeniably right we get a fair amount of nick fury in this as well yeah who just constantly seems to be like messing things up and like doing people favors. Like <laughs> a lot of people seem to have leverage over Nick Fury <laughs> is what I will say. Cause like, he's always just like, this isn't our job. Don't make me do this. Not doing an impression. And then, and then someone is just like, well, what if I told the government about this? And he's like, damn, I have to do it. <laughs> Backtrack on you're not doing an impression. It's not really a <laughs> that was more an evocation of Nick Fury. Yes. Um, also, like, just truly insane that Ultimate Nick Fury predated MCU Nick Fury. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the, the whole, like, Ultimate Nick Fury thing is weird <laughs> just like yeah it's it's funny that like they at the time in 2000 were like imagine if samuel l jackson was nick fury and then in 2008 they were like let's just do it i guess <laughs> and like there's a crazy story about how like he didn't know and then he like called marvel and was like i'm mad and they were like what if we tell you you can be nick fury <laughs> then he's like all right <laughs> You've you've seen the page, right, of where they, like, in the Ultimates, they talk about, oh, like, no. hypothetical casting? No. What? Oh, come on. Oh, it's good stuff. I'm going to pull it up. Vamp, while, <laughs> while I pull this page, because it's really funny. Uh, well, I was going to start talking about Magnetic North, which is the last arc that he does, which is, like, the big... It's, it's a very Vaughnish thing to, like, conclude with this big arc, although nothing in it has been set up like by him in previous issues at all, which is more like what I consider a thing where it's like all the pieces are coming together, baby. Whereas with this, it's more just like, remember Magneto? <laughs> <laughs> and also like, there's a lot of like very convenient stuff early on because it's like, it starts with like, ah, here's my cat Mystique. <laughs> and then he's like, why is your cat named Mystique? It's just like, I knew someone once. And then it's like, cut to the danger room. They're fighting Magneto. <laughs> and everyone's like, why are we fighting Magneto? He's in jail. And, and then Cyclops is just like, just in case. Uh -huh. Or Storm is. And then, <laughs> and then Mystique and Magneto show up shortly after. It was just very strange to me. But I, I really like this arc, actually. Um, it's a little sort of built around these other characters like Emma Frost school with North Star and Havoc and Sunspot and Polaris, of course. Uh -huh. I feel like it's built around those guys a little too much, but once it sort of 
gets going the whole polaris being in jail with magneto it's a, it's a good like conceit i thought i i liked the scenes where she is like in with him and showing how he like kind of starts to exert his influence uh, yes and like it, convince her that like maybe i do have a point after all yeah and like i i, I like the idea that it's like the at the very end when he's escaping that she's like well like i'm not like you and then he's like well what if like we can like balance each other which i guess like would be an intriguing proposition for someone who has like a benevolent heart are you eating a gummy bear yep (laughs) all right okay here is the discussion that happens in the ultimates (laughs) about casting i will note this uh header on this page weeks pass (laughs) sure uh samuel L. jackson oh sorry i mean nick fury <laughs> and the ultimate it is crazy because it's like you look at him well it's I mean, obvi- obviously like, part of it is the the movies but it's like, they, you look they at have him. always said that his his whole yes. look was based on samuel l jackson that was never uh, a question right so they're all hanging out in the rec room and uh nick fury says basically like they've already optioned a movie Brad Pitt is uh, in discussions for a three-picture deal <laughs> to play Captain America. And they're all Great like, pictures. huh? Captain America it says, who's Brad Pitt? Huge laugh. <clears throat> Huge laughman. And then they're all like, what? Are you serious? Like, who do you think will play everybody? Blah, blah, blah. Bruce Banner asks. Uh, Give me a list no, of jokes. <laughs> uh, Hank, Hank Pym asks, who would play you, Nick? And he says, Mr. Samuel L. Jackson, of course. That's not even open to debate. <laughs> and then... Uh, uh, he carries on with his fan casting. I'll tell you the one guy alive who could do a convincing Tony Stark. Care to care to guess? <laughs> um, okay. So, is I mean, it's not Tom Cruise, right? It's not Tom Cruise. Okay, so it's it's uh, this is two thousand two. Yes, it's two thousand two. Like he's kind of egotistical, but he's a good actor, I assume. And it's not like, like Al Pacino is too old. <laughs> Although I like, sure think about is. that. That'd be good. <laughs> give, give me a hint. Is it an Oscar winner? Uh, I don't believe so. Here's the, here's the hint. He has at this point already appeared in a movie based on a comic book, but not a superhero movie. What? <laughs> That's not helpful. <laughs> I don't know. Tell me. From Hell's Johnny Depp. <laughs> oh, of course. Uh the wasp from hell yeah <laughs> the Where wasp going <laughs> hilariously objects that he's too much of a pretty boy to which samuel i mean uh <laughs> Nick, Nick fury replies don't understand depp mrs pym a lot of people tag him with that pretty boy label but he's actually one of the most accomplished actors in hollywood at the moment picture him doing ed wood in an iron man suit and you've got tony stark up there in celluloid baby such a weird thing for like the characters to be talking about yeah he pitches uh lantern jawed matthew mcconaughey for hank pym (laughs) and for the wasp who else but miss lucy lou to which she replies oh naturally even though she looks absolutely nothing like me she'd be great because all asian people are basically identical right who's your backup choice general bruce lee (laughs) which good line (laughs) pretty good oh man i watched uh charlie's angels the other day the 2001 one Mm -hmm. truly brutal there is one more there like bruce banner walks in while they're debating who would play him and gets offended I, but i can't find the page 
I'm trying to remember. I think someone says Steve Buscemi. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> Anyways, we can just conclude uh, the the storylines here. So, make so the big thing here is like Magneto comes back. They ostensibly this is it's it's kind of a a classic uh, last arc where it's like we're gonna bring back all your all the hits from this run but magneto isn't in this run at all until this point no no magneto's not i mean he's talked about a lot but it's funny that his plan is like all right we're gonna bring out uh like north star havoc long shot mr sinister like everyone's everyone's gonna have an appearance yes everyone it's a nice it's a nice touch to have everyone being in the jail um, and then having them sort of reappear. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Dazzler's in a coma, back, baby. <laughs> sure. Uh, Colossus is coming out, I guess. Yeah, kind of. Oh, Rogue has the weird eyes. Well, she's uh, got her gambit powers. Yes, she's got gambit eyes. I guess like is it just like they've been boning so much that I believe she's the revelation gambit? is that he's dead and oh, it, it, not not in this issue, in like the subsequent right. issue, right, right. She, like, absorbed his powers, he died, and because she has, like, so absorbed his powers, her own are, like, temporarily turned off while she, like, works out, uh, I guess, like, her immune system processes her gambit powers. It's always, like, her thing that, like, the longer she keeps contact, the longer she keeps the powers for, and the more damaging to the person it is. And, like, in the mainstream comics, she, like, fully absorbs Carol Danvers at one point and, like, permanently has her power set, basically, and also has her, like, consciousness living in the back of her mind because uh, sure. she's so absorbed. Um, but, yes, the she she returns. Gambit has died. She has, like, fully absorbed his powers. This is depicted in X-Men, Ultimate X-Men Annual number one, apparently. Uh, of course. That Did they... Vaughn write that? Did we miss a Vaughn issue? Let me have a look here. Written by Brian K. Vaughn. Oh, Shoot. no. <laughs> we messed up big. Um, essentially, the story appears to be that, I mean, well, for for starters, the first, like, the side part of it is the X-Men train against the Sinister Six, which Love is just, just seems like, a, some, like some real fan service type stuff. Um, and then... So Gambit and Rogue, like we get sort of what has been going on there. They start a chain of robberies on Fenris Banks at a casino in Las Vegas after stealing a crystal. So whatever crystal Juggernaut uses, they mm-hmm. steal one of those, and then the they get a gem of Sidorak. Sure, and then they get attacked by Juggernaut, who famously no one can stop. Yes, he's the you know, <laughs> <laughs> etc. Yes, and then so. He like becomes the juggernaut and then Gambit basically blows up both of them, but as he is dying, kisses Rogue mm-hmm. and passes on everything to her. And shockingly, Gambit did not die. <laughs> or I mean ju- <laughs> Juggernaut did not die. Uh yeah, do we have anything further to say about Magnetic North? Magneto makes his big getaway with uh Longshot and Forge question mark? Or no, Forge dies? I think Forge gets handled, um, but and Mystique takes his place in yes, the prison in the, the, in the prison thing. cell, famously. Which like, come on, like, do classic favors, classic move. Uh, and then there's a vision backup in the back of it. <laughs> I believe it's like part two of uh, part two of six, part yes. two of six, classic. Um, and then so 
So that's the last Vaughn issue immediately after. So Kirkman comes on and then yep. it's Phoenix Rising is the... Uh, well, Date Night is the... Uh, it's the, Date Night is the name of the arc, but the cover yep. art says Phoenix Rising! Yes. Mark. yes, the Date Night issue is also one that I thought of about like the way people are drawn because Jean is wearing like... Oh, yeah. It, well, an insane Tom, crop top. Tom Rainey is doing the art. Uh, who He has done the art for some comics that I like a lot. His style is not really to my taste. He is very much like a 90s guy. Like that was the height of his uh, his powers. And I think it shows in, in the art that he's doing on uh, these these issues that he draws. I, he did the annual too, right? Uh, let me have a look here. Yes, Tom Rainey and his he's bottom. Got, yeah, he uh, he gets a little wonky sometimes. I don't I don't mind saying yeah i mean like i'm looking at this panel where it's like professor x is talking but also like kitty's like chest is like protruding from like off screen (laughs) into the it's like well i gotta have this in here like she's standing next to him and then like (sighs) it's a classic like why is her belly button outlined in her costume (laughs) (laughs) uh it's just that tight tight um justin ponzer does the colors i think for this entire run another uh, another big rip and another guy who works on a lot of uh, ultimate books and and defines uh the ultimate look in this era he he had a really long run on ultimate x-men i think and then subsequently was like bendis's go-to colorist i think he died he died a couple years ago of cancer i believe mm-hmm. at like a surprisingly young age yes he was 42 yeah rip justin ponzer great colorist j poe he's known as J-Po, I like that. I like that, too. You could go by D-Ho. <laughs> <laughs> In certain circles, I already do. <laughs> yes, certainly. Um, so, yeah, that pretty much wraps up our <laughs> our discussion yeah. of I... Ultimate X-Men, uh, such as it was. Yeah, yeah like... these, are, these are, like, like I said, the whole run is just sort of, like, fine <laughs> yeah it's like, like i feel like he's uh this is a, this is kind of his day job book to a certain extent and the things that he's really excited about doing he's doing in y and runaways and ex machina yeah and and these are all just some like you know get get that paper stories yeah the whole the whole vibe of this for me is just like as i was reading i was just like yep i'm really reading some comics right now. <laughs> like it's, a, it's as if like i'm 12 years old and like I just happened to like pick this specific trade paperback off the shelf at a bookstore and like I'm flipping through it. It's like, yep, this is what comics are. Yeah. It's I mean, maybe a and testament not to him. Yeah, they're not they're not bad. They're very readable. It's like kind of the the word I would use to describe it. Like I was never bored. I was never like this is bad. No. But I was also never like really swept away or like i must read the next issue like if you compare it to i mean it's probably not fair to say like compare it to why yeah which is a book where he has so much more like free reign and and it's like a passion project for him but the like the momentum that we talked about with why where like every month he's got like a cliffhanger that like almost compels you to read the next issue and like really showcases his his ability as like a serialized storyteller i just didn't really feel that with any of these comics like i didn't ever really feel like i must know what happens next issue i just it does feel a lot more corporate even than like swamp thing or runaways 
it kind of feels like the first time where he's got an editor who really is like, these are like the kinds of stories that we need to tell in this book. These are the kinds of things that we want to see. These are like the characters you can use. These are the, you know, just it, it feels like there's a heavier editorial hand, which in some ways is good because there's there's less of kind of like the young Vaughn. Like we we describe these comics as edgy, but like they're not nearly as edgy as like Swamp Thing, for example, no, or or even like Runaways, really. And I think I think that having like a firmer editorial hand does like cause some of those tendencies to be cut back on. And I think just writing characters that like are established and who like yeah. like we expect that they will have a specific voice. Yeah, but uh, but I do think it's ultimately like if I'm choosing between edited vaughn and like totally free reign vaughn like we'll, we'll talk about saga more when we get there i'm like that's a book where i have felt sometimes like he needs a stronger editorial hand but if you're asking me to choose saga versus ultimate x-men like i'll take saga a million times <laughs> like before i would before i would take his work in ultimate x-men like he is better off the leash than being like overmanaged for sure yeah and i think the, the sense I got, like, it, it ends up feeling a little anonymous. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Uh, and, like, Kirkman's run is kind of the same. You're, like, although, yeah. I wouldn't say that Kirkman is someone whose voice is, like, so distinct. But, like, Ultimate X-Men is for sure a property where people with distinct voices can go and kind of, like, <laughs> not, not have a distinct voice. Right. I did, I, mean, I did find it helpful, though, like to be reading Ultimate Comics and thinking about like the Ultimate line as a whole, and especially like Mark Miller's stuff. It was like helpful to contextualize some of the edginess in stuff like Swamp Thing or, uh, or like Runaways that reading today is like a little bit grating. And I don't think either of us are really like fans of it. But to be reminded of like the extent to which that was kind of like the tone of the best selling comics at the time and the degree to which those those things were marketed and perceived as being like, very fresh, very new, very now sort of um, it, it, I feel like it helped it helped them feel like they had a very like young energy. And so to like think about Vaughn as a young writer, to think about the kind of like market trends at the time, and then to remember like how influential the Ultimate Universe, especially the early Ultimate Universe stuff was, it was just like a good reminder of like, it's not like Vaughn is the only one out there who's like, kind of trying to like write for shock value sometimes or like indulge no, in some, some kind of sophomoric impulses. There's an extent to which like, people are like, these, this is what the kids are about these days. None of, we've had it with these stodgy old X-Men in their 30s who are married and like have beards. <laughs> we, we want we want sexy teenage X-Men. Shave who, off their beards. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that that was a specific complaint Bill Jemis had at one point in the like ultimate conception was like, these characters were introduced as teenagers and you're telling me he's got a wife and kids and facial hair, which I feel like, I feel like in the early issues, Cyclops still has a disgusting soul patch. <laughs> oh. But uh, anyways, all this to say, like, it was a, it was a helpful recontextualization, especially of stuff like Swamp Thing, to have gone back and been like, oh, yeah, this was just kind of like what the, the market air. was like. <laughs> yes, I, I, I mean, I would almost say like reading why and stuff compared to some people, it feels like he has some restraint. <laughs> in terms of like how far he's willing to go with like the edgy stuff 
But what, yeah. what you were saying about like about the book almost made me think of the MCU in some ways, where it's like you get a hot young director, and then like you flatten them out a little bit into like the house <laughs> style. Yeah. I, well, I mean that's fitting because the MCU has like completely strip mined the Ultimate Universe. Like everything, <laughs> everything that was like good from the Ultimate Universe, you can like find in the mcu and all the stuff that didn't work has just been like totally discarded like i i don't think at all that it would be a stretch to say that the mcu is based more on the ultimate conception of the characters than the like 616 versions i think that's fair and certainly like there's a there's like on-set shots of like sam raimi and uh and toby Maguire like leaning together over copies of ultimate spider-man being like <laughs> in this one he's shooting webs yeah the ultimate books it's it's an interesting like timing thing where like obviously the x-men movie had a big influence on the ultimate x-men comic books and at the same time like ultimate spider-man was a clear influence on the spider-man movie but the yeah it's it's just like an interesting like circular thing where like as marvel comics are starting to become like a thing in hollywood around this time there's like a very dialogic relationship between them where they're like each informing each other and it's interesting to see the extent to which like now the comics like kind of like obviously they're still mining the comics for like storylines with things like love and thunder and like jane foster thor but i think the movies have a much stronger impact on the content of the comics than the comics do on the content of the movies now that's certainly what it seems like these days with like pe- like characterizations and even like characters appearing like tend to it seems like get like shifted into roles that are more in line with what people are expecting from yeah. the movies and and like things like you know ultimate nick fury debuts as like modeled on samuel l jackson a black man exists there for like years like probably almost 10 years of of ultimate nick fury and then when avengers comes out they're like oh uh also nick fury is dead but don't worry he had a son that you didn't know about who is black and looks like samuel jackson and by the way he also needs an eye patch (laughs) don't ask he's here with his buddy phil colson and he's gonna be the new head of shield what's his name you ask oh nick fury jr (laughs) yes i i did read a little bit about some of uh what was what was going on with <laughs> the integrate and that's something that we could talk about this in a second i guess but like the sort of the integration of ultimate stuff like into the mainstream universe where it was like deemed to be like this is a good idea is very very interesting <laughs> yeah it's interesting i think mostly to me because i don't think it was very common for something to debut on the ultimate side and then get worked into the 616 side. It had the weird like flow of debuted in ultimate was like used as some sort of like visual or, or like characterization or whatever was adopted for one of the MCU movies. And then around the time that the movie comes out, it gets folded into the 616 comic because at that point, like by the time the MCU is really booming, the ultimate line is kind of on the way out. And, and the focus is back on the mainstream stuff. So they're like, we're going to synergize up here. And uh, and now it's time for the, the comics to align more closely with whatever's happening in the movie. Right. Do we want to talk about Ultimatum just because? <laughs> I So I've never read Ultimatum. <sighs> Jeff Loeb, man. The, the man. The big ear Loeb. <laughs> yeah. So ulti- in a way, I think this actually sort of starts to feed into Ultimatum with like getting Magneto out of jail and, and starting to like 
build himself up. But if I'm recalling correctly, the plot line is like Magneto summons a huge tidal wave and like crashes yes. it onto New York and kills like half of the cast of every comic in the ultimate line to like force a big shakeup. It's I think of it as kind of the first nail in the coffin of the ultimate universe that like I never really recovered from. My understanding was always that it was like the end of like that that's how they ended the ultimate universe but i guess they they sort of relaunch it immediately after right yeah i think i think the idea was sort of like we're gonna wipe the slate clean and other than like our absolute like golden gooses we're gonna kind of like go back to page one so i'm pretty sure after ultimatum all of the like ultimate blank titles ended and relaunched as ultimate comics right whatever and some of them went away forever like ultimate fantastic four was just done after ultimatum because i'm pretty sure everyone except reed died <laughs> yeah i'm just so the <laughs> i'm just, just really the reason i want to talk about this is this list of deaths which is yeah. just wild angel killed and partially eaten by saber tooth yeah a, a lot of cannibalism uh around this time oh yeah jeez louise beast drowned in the ultimatum wave <laughs> very unceremonious mm -hmm. blob head bitten off by hank pym <laughs> in uh vengeance for him eating janet pym sure cannonball blown up by madrox cyclops shot in the head by quicksilver daredevil found dead by spider-man presumably drowned <laughs> dazzler drowned doctor strange killed by dormammu after his body is constricted causing his engorged head to explode <laughs> Emma Frost, blown up by Madrox. Forge, tortured and killed in the Savage Lands. Oh, there you Franklin go. Storm, killed by the Ultimatum Wave. Hard Drive. Who's Hard Drive? Uh, I believe he can transform into a car, or he can like turn any car into uh, like his <laughs> special cool card. Well, she's a, a she in the oh. Ultimate Universe at the very least. Anyways, she too was tortured and killed in the Savage Lands. Hank Pym, blown up by Madrox. Juggernaut. Hit in the eye by a poisonous dart shot by a <laughs> sentinel. Long shot, tortured and killed in the Savage Land. Lorelei killed by Wolverine. Magneto, head blown off by Cyclops. Nightcrawler drowned. Polaris blown up by Madrox. Professor X, neck broken by Magneto. Psylocke, listed by Marvel as dead, though her death was never shown. <laughs> Sunspot blown up by Madrox. Syndicate, dead after one of his heads is blown off by William Stryker. Thor surrendered his soul to Valhalla. Toad dies off screen. Wasp, either partially eaten by Blob or drowned at the ultimatum wave. Wolverine, completely shredded by Magneto. Uh, I was, of course, thinking of Overdrive, who is the uh, villain who can turn any car into his special cool car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ultimatum, a follow-up to Ultimates 3, two of the absolute naders of the ultimate universe written by jeff Loeb shortly after the tragic death of his son which i think people usually consider to be a contributing factor to the the quality of those particular titles he he was he was certainly processing a lot at the time uh those are not well loved comics and uh, are are 
often best best forgotten including by him i read a retrospective uh on the ultimate universe that was published in vulture and there was a note that jeff Loeb agreed to make himself available to discuss it on the condition that there was no discussion of ultimates three or ultimatum <laughs> no quotes from him appeared in that piece which i'm assuming it means that declined that condition but yeah served to like really wipe the board i think the ultimate spider-man tie-ins for ultimatum if i recall are very good there's like a page that gets shared around on the internet a lot of like j jonah jameson witnessing spider-man in action while he's like on the top floor of the daily bugle building underwater he like sees spider-man like swimming by trying to save people and his narration is all about how like what a fool i've been (laughs) he's like a true hero and that that's where like ultimate j jonah jameson really diverges and becomes like a like kind of secret spider-man booster uh i so yeah i believe those are quite beloved but uh yeah most of the other consequences of ultimatum are frowned upon and this is not when we get miles morales is it no no yeah no it's not he survives this the story continues on uh, he has like a fake death right so he does have a fake death that we alluded to what happens for his death is like 50 issues later mark miller did an ultimates versus or ultimate avengers versus the ultimates miniseries that was about like the classic ultimates lineup fighting this like the the ultimate version of the avengers which nick fury formed as kind of like a black ops squad that like is led by punisher and so during the events of that punisher tries to like snipe captain america and spider-man like swings in the way and gets shot and then green goblin like attacks his house and he has to go fight him to protect aunt may and like then they both die in that fight and then like in the in the aftermath of that miles morales is bitten by another oscorp genetically modified spider gets his spider powers debuts shortly thereafter with like the blessing of gwen stacy and aunt may great funeral issue for spider-man deeply moving and then at the end they reveal that he actually was alive the whole time (laughs) he and mary jane get a weird like happily ever after moment then the ultimate universe is destroyed (laughs) cool but it still exists right oh the ultimate universe is so weird it does it It doesn't it doesn't (laughs) they might they might have like teased uh return of the ultimate universe but the universe ended during the secret wars event in 2015 plot of which was like spinning out of hickman's avengers that various universes like earths from different universes were like crashing into each other and causing both universes to be destroyed and the only way to avoid it was to like blow up one of the earths before they collided and so like the conclusion of that storyline was that 616 and ultimate marvel were like the last two earths and were about to collide and basically ultimate was erased as part of like the resolution of that plot line but all the beloved characters who people still cared <laughs> yeah. about were folded in aka miles morales and pretty much nobody else <laughs> right and yet you're uh, so Genki. wrong uh what <laughs> well of course the miniseries ends oh, uh, oh right because the marvel 616 miles morales is a villain named ultimatum right <laughs> yes that is correct see uh, see spider-man 2 just truly brutal blah 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 yes and so it ends with marvel 616 miles Morales emigrating to the ultimate universe 
confirming that the universe still exists. A brief glimpse. This is all just me reading off Wikipedia, a classic portion of the episode. Love it. Still extant Ultimate Universe is shown, showing that Ultimate Peter Parker has returned to being Spider-Man, and he is a member of the Ultimates, along with Riri Williams and a, and a Grey Hulk. <laughs> um, and then I guess, I don't know how much you know about this, but that the return of the Ultimate Universe was mentioned again in 2019 in story arcs in Venom and Miles Morales Spider-Man. Venom. Venom. <laughs> I knew, uh, like, I knew that there had been some mention of it. It's like basically since they announced that they were ending it, people have been like, kind of like, but you know, who knows? Right. I don't really see, like, it has no appeal for me. And I say that as somebody who generally is like pretty pro Ultimate Universe, including titles that were like kind of universally maligned. Like, uh, like I like Ultimate Fantastic Four, which not a lot of people do. <laughs> right um but yeah i i just feel like it was a cool experiment and they kind of maxed out the potential of what it could be on the first try and like i just don't see a universe where they do it again and have like greater success or even equivalent success yeah i it's yeah i mean it feels like the the time scale for comic events has just like shifted so rapidly that now it feels like basically like as soon as one universe resetting event finishes you're like already in the prelude to the next universe resetting event yeah it's it part of it is like the monthly schedule where like it takes half a year to tell like right a, a single trades worth of story and then so if you have like an idea for like a grand saga about the universe getting resetted even if it's like only 18 issues total from like setup to event to like aftermath stuff it still takes like a year and a half to get through all of that so yeah when they when they want to do like an event every summer and things like that it starts to feel like you're constantly in the middle of setup for some event or another because it takes like yeah they they always talk about like the summer event summer is three months and they're (laughs) almost always like five to eight issue miniseries plus like the setup and the aftermath of the stuff that always inevitably happens so yeah it it definitely can feel like the aftermath stuff of an event is always overlapping with like the prelude stuff of the next event right is there anything else we need to talk about here I'm just reading about random stuff. Like, do you, have you ever, do you know about the new universe? Uh, like new universal stuff. Yes, kind of. <laughs> that it would like it's it, it has some crazy stuff. That's With like like um star star brand and I don't know. who are the other people? I don't know about I, that. I kind of know about it. That it's it's like it's a separate. This isn't like the eighties as well, which is interesting. Yeah. It's so they. I know that they launched it in the eighties. I know that they like. I think they tried to bring it back in like the two thousands with Warren Ellis writing it, and then again Hickman's Avengers like used Star Brand as like a big character slash like plot device. I think Night Mask was also er, Night Mask. Is that his name? There was another U- new Universal character yes, who was Night also Mask. an important. Okay, yeah. Night Mask was also an important part of the Avengers story. Yes. Yeah, so basically, the two the two primary conceits of the new universe are is one, it operates in real time, uh-huh. and two, there are no no hidden races, gods, mythological beings, magic, or super technology. And then it says, has in parenthetical, a rule immediately broken by justice. <laughs> a 
good bit. <laughs> uh, I do like that. I was going to say, what I know of Nightmask and uh, Starbrand does not <laughs> align with that. Yes, I imagine it would be difficult to maintain that. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so again, not not a whole lot to say about these particular stories. I do like the Ultimate Universe and like to talk about it. It is <laughs> yes, certainly... It's... It's a very unique and singular kind of thing in in comics. It seems like it should not have worked. <laughs> and yeah, yet it did. Crazy. It was like very, very successful, right? Like Yeah, well like it's it kind of started slow. I think the like direct sales of the first issue of Ultimate Spider Man were like around sixty thousand, which is like solid but not like earth shattering. But I also read that then, like, after it came out, Bill Jemis was like, get this into Walmarts, get this into, like, every place we possibly can. And that when all said and was said and done, there were, like, 8 million copies of Ultimate Spider-Man in circulation. And then, yeah, like, we, I, I can't remember if we were already recording when we talked about this, but Ultimate X-Men consistently is, like, the second best or best-selling X-Men title of many. And, like, kind of a fixture in the top, like... 10 to 15 ish for most of its run i will say uh you know dips dips off a little bit by the end of vaughn's run uh i believe when he started it was selling just under a hundred thousand ultimate which X-Men. is like no like what's how does that compare to today? so number number 45 which is his first issue or 46 is his first issue 46 46 is his first issue sold ninety six thousand six hundred and six copies was the ninth best seller behind Ultimate X Men forty five, which sold almost the exact same amount, and then three comics broke a hundred thousand, which were X Men one fifty seven, Uncanny X Men four forty four, Secret War Singular number two, and uh... <laughs> the, the use of the term Secret War in Marvel continuity <laughs> is infuriating to me. Anyways, there were several titles that that broke a hundred thousand, and then two that broke two hundred thousand. Uh, And those were Superman 205 and Astonishing X-Men number one, uh, not shockingly at all, clocking in at uh, 209,289 units for the number one spot. Astonishing X-Men number one, of course, being Joss Whedon coming on to take over for Grant Morrison, uh, which was like a huge get at the time. Right. Uh, And then by the time like his last issue was number 65 was down to 74,262, which is like still very good numbers, still the best numbers of any book that he would have been writing and still a top 20 book. But again, like a 20,000 unit drop off and fairly significant dip sales wise. Infinite Crisis number two, the uh, top selling issue that month, 207,561 a cue a book i know very well so you're reading the wikipedia <laughs> um i think i've also read it but anyways um have you yeah i think so hmm. there you go when we get to our jeff john series no. <laughs> our three-year-long jeff <laughs> john series that we hate <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Johns is uh, Jeff Johns. Is, I mean, you know, we're we're running we're running short. We can talk about Jeff Johns. <laughs> I don't feel strongly compelled to talk about Jeff Johns, other than to note that he wrote one issue of uh, Ultimate X Men. Really? Yeah. Uh, number one half. Oh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> I'm curious. To, I'm looking it up to see when that was. 
because uh, I feel like, that feels like an like, early in his career thing. But also, like, if it was running DC, yeah, exactly. Published two thousand two, so I think he would have been working on JSA at that point. Would be his kind of his big title, which is like just kind of starting to build his uh, his star power at that point. Right, and he wrote some Avengers books then as well. He did, yeah. Yeah, he he started out, I think Stargirl was his first, or sorry, Stars and S-T-R-I-P-E was like his first kind of solo big thing, which like kind of established him as a, as a, a writer. And then JSA, and he sort of like, he was a bit more journeyman at that point. So JSA was like his DC title and he did a couple books for Marvel. But then by the time he was starting to work on stuff like Green Lantern and... Yeah, uh, I was going to say Green Lantern is where he really... Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird timeline though because in 2002 he's writing Ultimate X Men one half, <laughs> and in 2005 he's writing Infinite Crisis. At which point I already kind of think of him as like being the the architect the guy. of the DC universe. Well, that's like Bendis as well though, right? Like, isn't Bendis like didn't Bendis do like House of M and stuff? Like, he definitely less than five years after. Yeah, House House of M is for sure. I think there's an issue of House of M the same month as uh, as the last issue of ultimate x-men for vaughn I, I don't know for some reason it tracks a lot easier for me because like before he started working on stuff like that he already had ultimate spider-man daredevil alias like would have started on powers right. like his his like hit rate between like 2000 and 2004 is like insane whereas for john's i'm just like not as clear on like when did he start writing green lantern like it's it's just sort of i'm not totally clear on like how he became the guy who they're like all right do infinite crisis which feels like a big like here's here's the reins to like the overarching story of our entire line and like jsa is good but i'm not sure that it's the like time for you to take a huge swing good yeah it was so i guess he worked on Flash as well. He did. Yeah, he did write Flash. So I guess if you're doing Flash and Green Lantern, and like both of those are very successful runs that sort of like revived the character. I guess he, not quite that for Flash. Like that would come a little later, I guess. But both successful runs on relatively major characters, I mm-hmm. guess, is is adequate. <laughs> oh, he did Teen Titans too. I think that was probably around this time forgot about that yeah started on teen titans in 2003 he did action comics as well but that's later that's 2006 anyways yeah (laughs) just again like teen titans a book i like a book that i'm sure like did decent numbers not something i think of as like a career defining classic that gets you handed infinite crisis or like a book of its ilk right yeah so that's the last time we will talk about (laughs) jeff johns I mean, Jeff Johns to me, like, he's another guy who was very synonymous with, like, mid-2000s when I was starting to get into comic books. And just, like, he is, like, the vanilla, he's, like, the DC vanilla ice cream in the same way that, like, I think of Bendis as, like, the Marvel vanilla. Yeah, I mean, if I'm, if I have to, like, Desert Island choose between Bendis's bibliography and Jeff Johns's, I'm probably taking Bendis's. I think that's valid. But I am I am a, a Bendis booster to a greater degree than I think most people. I don't know. We'll talk about Bendis sometime, I'm sure. We'll probably talk about John, Johns again sometime. The only Johns I want to talk about is John Johns. Well, if we ever get to the Comic Greg Rucka, um 
breakdown that I have developed, we will have to talk about him because Greg Greca is like all over the tertiary Infinite Crisis books. So, can you dig at Rucka? And I well, can. <laughs> that seems like as good a time as any to call an end to this uh, charade. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Uh, don't forget to. Oh, also, okay, wait, just real quick. Why does Black Widow have an Iron Man suit? Uh, yeah, don't know. Did it g- <laughs> <laughs> it's like, here are the classic members of the Avengers. <laughs> Iron Man, Captain America, second Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, I was very confused by it and was like, oh, it's War Machine? Oh, no, it's not War Machine. I think it must it must be something that happens like early in ultimates two i guess yes it is it looks like because it would have like come out around that time but also like took a weirdly long time to finish but yeah i i assume that it's something that happened in ultimates two which i have not read cool (laughs) well (laughs) do not forget to ultimate and was that a verb ultimate i don't like to deliver an ultimatum i don't believe so well it could be don't forget to uh, it is archaic (sighs) my favorite my my favorite label for a word oh don't forget to ultimate and uh don't see masturbate don't see masturbate subdue us on ultimate subdue uh, and prescribe what's that prescribe no okay this is <laughs> i mean it's the same as ultimate and subdue <laughs> anyways thank you again do all those things that i previously alluded to join us next time for ex machina numbers one to 16 i've been yes. waiting for this one baby <laughs> <laughs> yes in retrospect should we have done ultimate x-men <laughs> <laughs> i i enjoyed having an excuse to talk about uh, the ultimate universe certainly yes uh, i i think that like it's almost too long to ignore based on kind of our criteria right. that we've laid out you know Every creator has some spots in their bibliography where it's like, certainly they wrote that. It can't be, <laughs> it can't be denied. <laughs> but yes, after after thinking that uh, it was up next, like three weeks uh, or three episodes ago, uh, I am very ready to get into Ex Machina, which I remember as my favorite uh, Vaughn work, and we'll see if it holds up. I have not reread it in several years. Have you ever read Ex Machina? No, no. Can't wait. Into some interesting territory that I'm excited about. Yeah. But of course, that'll have to wait for next time. Mid aughts politics. Can't wait. <laughs> and until next time, to be continued. And of course, data colon image slash JPEG. Semicolon base 64, comma slash IJ slash 4AAQSK. Z J R G A B A Q A A A Q A B A A T.